Um, This morning we're reading from Matthew, the first chapter, the 18th through the 25th verse. And I want to confess to you as a pastor who has now served over 30 years in preaching on Christmas, there's a part of me that wants to just say, okay, let's read this and say good things and go home. You see, that's really the temptation about Christmas in these days, is that we want to move on to tomorrow because tomorrow we're going to be gathering with families and opening presents and having feasts, and we're just going to have a great time, aren't we? Amen? Aren't you glad to be with your family? By the way, tell them that because they don't believe it anyway, but tell them you're glad to be with your family. And the most amazing thing about this time of year is we spend so much effort in pouring our lives into making sure we have the right gift. Amen? I mean, for heaven's sakes, have the wrong gift on Christmas morning and you know what's going to happen. It's not going to be pleasant. The, the chicken might be burnt or something else might happen. But even more, the most amazing thing that I see at Christmas after Christmas after Christmas is all the effort that goes into preparing for Christmas on Christmas morning. And what does people look like the day after? Have you seen it? It's it's uncanny. It's almost as if the festivities are over and the joy is gone. And it's just another Christmas. As I've been wrestling with this whole problem that we're having in our culture about how we observe this holiday, you would not be surprised that in the history of this church and our nation, Christmas was seen as a bah humbug among Christians. The high and holy day of the Christmas of the Christian year was Easter. It was the day where people really anticipated worship because it was that day that we celebrated the resurrection of Christ. And Christmas, as we were warned by the preachers in the 1900s, Christmas was going to become a diversion. It was going to divert people from the truth of who Christ is. And so as I have looked around our, our country, as I've walked and talked to people, as I've walked through our neighborhoods and driven through our neighborhoods, I've asked myself, do people know who Christ is anymore? Do people understand why he came? And so this morning I want to read for you from Matthew, who was one of the disciples who followed Jesus as he records for us these words in chapter 1, verse 18. I want to ask you if it is our custom, would you mind standing with me as we hear God's word? This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. 
the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, excuse me, one more verse. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. That last verse was intentional. You may be seated. Why intentional? Because in our day, we would have no problem with someone being pregnant before marriage, would we? Not with the culture that we live in in our day. That's considered kind of passe these days. But here's a story that gives us the origins of Jesus in his earthly life. Why is that so important? Well, do I believe it? Is this true? Or is it just folklore? When I was studying for my undergraduate degree, I went through a crisis of faith where I was being taught certain things in colleges about how to believe concerning God and the Bible. And everything I had learned in my home church when I went to school was being told, I was being told all of that was basically ignorance. That I wasn't properly educated in the things of the word of God. And so as I studied and got a BA in, in that theology, one of the things that really is really has surprised me was I said, if this is true, what I'm studying, then, then why do anyone, why does anyone bother with faith in Christ? Because what I was being taught was first that Moses could never have written the first five books of the Old Testament because, and there was a theory called the Graffin-Wellhausen Documentary Hypothesis Theory <laughs> that basically told us that the origin of the Old Testament came from different sources and somebody down the line, probably around the time of King David or Solomon, just took all these pieces of the, of the scriptures and started weaving it together into a story that justified the existence of Israel. And the more I heard, the more I began to doubt went on in my studies and heard as it was being taught that that the person who sentenced Jesus to death wasn't even real there was no historical evidence to ever show that there was a pontius pilate there were no records in any place in the history of archaeology that could possibly reveal that and so it was surmised among these brilliant scholars that basically what we read in the scriptures was an invention of the early Christians. It was a way of them justifying their preaching of Jesus Christ. And so my faith began to waver. It was yours. Years later, in fact, it was 1994... We were on a trip to Israel and with a professor of Old Testament, we called him the Velvet Hammer because whenever you were in school and you gave an answer and it was wrong, he let you know it was dead wrong, but he did it kindly. And as we were there with Gary and Gary was giving us a tour, we went to Caesarea, a town in the south, Caesarea in the south by the sea. 
And there, archaeologists had uncovered an amphitheater that had been buried for, for years, decades. And they found inscribed on the stone outside of this, still hanging from the very place it was laid, an inscription dedicating the amphitheater in its construction. And guess whose name was on it? Pontius Pilate. And I thought, oh my. For over 120-something years, people in the leadership of the church have been taught you cannot trust the Bible. This past year, unbeknownst to probably all of you, there was another archaeological find in Israel that many people have not heard about. But when God had taken the children of Israel out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land, as they were crossing into the promised land, he told some, one tribe to stand on one side on a hill that overlooked a valley they were crossing into the promised land. And on the other hill was another group. And they, both groups, were to pronounce blessings and cursings. And God was instructing his people as they entered this promised land, the land he had prepared for them, that as they entered, they would remember these words, you are going to be blessed if you obey me. Your crops will grow. Your enemies will not overcome. Your houses will flourish. Your families will flourish. I will bless you. I will be your God if you will serve me. And the mountain of cursing, the day you turn away from the Lord, I will dry up your crops and give you no rain. I will allow your enemies to run over you. And eventually the land will vomit you out. And you think, did that really happen? Well, they just discovered something about the size of this size, about a piece of metal that was used to inscribe and remember, I was taught Moses could have never written the Old Testament because the Hebrews in that day did not have an alphabet. They were illiterate people. They couldn't write. And yet this find, this piece of metal, it was so old they couldn't un unravel it without tearing it apart. So they sent it to Prague to be scanned on a special scanner. And there... Guess what they found? Hebrew writing. And guess what the word was that was written there numerous times? Cursed are you. And the name of God written twice, Yahweh. Yahweh. So when it comes to a story that Matthew, who walked with Jesus, is inscribing to us, the question is, can I trust it? Is God really with us? I want to say yes. Why? Because Matthew was with him. There are four things I want you to point out to point out to you about tonight that's important concerning the identity and the origin of Jesus Christ. First, notice that God is a holy God. What do we mean by that? Well, when you look at this first passage, the 18th passage, it says this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came. That kind of floats by us because we're not really Jewish. 
But a Messiah was a figure God had promised long ago who would come and deliver his people from their sins. And over and over and over again, all through the Old Testament, God promised that he would send one who would give himself as an atonement for their sins. And so with each sacrifice of every animal they gave at the temple, they did not believe that the sacrifice of the blood of that animal forgave them of their sins. They believed that it was a sign to remind them that one day God would send someone to forgive their sins. He would take upon himself the penalty of their sins. And in doing that, God made this great promise that they always look forward to, even today. There are Jewish families when children are born into their families. When the day of circumcision comes, the eighth day, they ask themselves, could this be the Messiah? Isn't that beautiful? Well, why do they hold on to that? Because God is holy. He is not like any God that has ever been worshipped on the face of the earth. And there have been many gods, haven't there? At least idols. And when Joseph was walking with God, he was a believer in that one true God. He had believed all that God had promised. Long ago, even into his very day, he believed it, even though he was removed generations from when God had made those promises. And the most amazing thing is this God who is holy is the same God who created the earth. If you go back to Genesis, it says that God created the heavens and the earth and his spirit hovered over the face of the waters. And so even there, you begin to understand the mystery of who this God is. Not only is he his holy, but this God, as Jesus began to reveal him, is both Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. In fact, the Christian New Testament looks back to that moment of creation and identifies Jesus there with with God when he was creating. If you go to the first chapter of John, what does John say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so this Word of God is the expression, God's expression of himself, revealing himself to the creation he has made. And we know that that creation is still existing. You're part of it. You were created by God. And you were created by God To glorify him and enjoy him forever. That's why you were created. You weren't created to make a lot of money and die. You weren't created to have a lot of children and die. You were originally created to glorify God. And to talk and walk and have a relationship with him. Well then why why don't we have that? Because this God is holy can abide being with us because of who we are. The Bible goes on to say that because we are sinners, because Adam and Eve had sinned and sin entered the world, all those who were coming, descending from him, from those two, are stained with sin. Now, that's not a popular thought today because of the theory of evolution. The theory of evolution says that basically we came from Nothing by chance. When you talk to those who teach in our, in, in our universities, when you, when you understand what science is teaching today, it's not real science. It's scientific theory. It's theory about the origins of the earth. 
And so as you look at the scriptures, there seems to be a conflict with that. Well, of course there is, because our culture does not honor and glorify God. We don't desire God. This is the problem with us. This is who humanity is. And so when you turn on the TV and you feel in your gut that things are not right, when you know in your heart things are not settled, when in your mind you look at the world and you feel troubled, this is the result not of God's creation but of our rejection of him. And it was that hope that Joseph had that there would still be one who would come to restore the creation back to what God had intended from the beginning. And so because of that, when he, he was hearing about Mary, you could well imagine how disturbed he was. Well, what did he hear? Well, he heard that Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, they weren't officially married yet, but they had not come together as husband and wife. She was pregnant. I don't know about you, but if I had found out my wife was pregnant before we walked down the aisle... I don't think I would have given her a second chance. Do you? And when Joseph heard this, you can well imagine being a man of faith who looked back to the scriptures probably struggled with the same thing. What do I do about this? This is a real story about real people in real circumstances. And so as he struggled with what he should do, he certainly loved Mary enough that he never wanted to put her to shame. In fact, one of the laws of the Old Testament said that if a woman is caught in this way by a man and she doesn't cry out for help and she's taken by a person like this, then she and the person who took her are to be stoned to death. Women, you, you don't know how fortunate you are to live in a time where the light of Christ has come into the world because you're... You are respected much more today than you would ever be respected in that day. It is because of Jesus that you have the freedoms and the respect that you have as women in whatever culture there is in light of the Christian gospel. The most amazing thing is when you think of what Joseph was going to do, he was simply going to say, let's brush it under the rug. Why was he do that? Because he was faithful to the law. He knew that he could make an accusation and carry it out, but he would not. All it says is that he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. And he had a mind to divorce her quietly. You say, well, wait a minute. He wasn't even married to her. You don't understand. In that day, when a woman and a man were going to be married, there was a year before that ever happened when they were betrothed to each other and it was set up by the families and the families would set this up in such a way to ensure the prosperity of their families and the generations to come after them and so what you did with your daughter was was not just an important thing to a father's heart it was a issue of legality and propriety for the culture and so for a year, there would be a betrothal. And as far as everyone was concerned, Joseph and Mary were husband and wife. You don't mess with them. And now Mary's pregnant. What is to happen? Well, legally, Joseph has to put her away. 
But the Bible says that in the midst of that, he began to wake up to something that shook his very soul. He had a dream. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't put much stock in dreams. Do you? I, I have some weird dreams at night. But there was one dream I'll never forget. My wife and I were having trouble having a family, and we'd given up. We'd had no despair. We'd prayed to God. We'd asked. We begged. We said, Lord, would you please hear? What have we done to let you not give us what we would naturally want? And as we cried out and, and hurt over that, we began to give up hope. And then I had a dream. It was a Wednesday night. I dreamed my wife called me into the kitchen. And in that dream, I looked at her and said, what's wrong? And she said, there's something I have to tell you. And I said, what is it? She said, I'm pregnant. I said, that's great. And she said, no, 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 there's something else I have to tell you. And I said, well, what is that? She said, you're not the father. <laughs> you ever had a dream like that? Well, when I woke up, I began to think about all the dreams that people had in the Bible. Remember, Daniel had dreams. There were others who had dreams. I began to think, oh, Lord, what are you preparing me for? I had a Joseph moment. Finally, my wife woke up, and I looked at her, and I said, I've had a dream. And she smiled and said, well, there's something I have to tell you. I said, what? She said, I'm pregnant. And I said, well, in nine months, so we'll find out if I'm the father. <laughs> but why would I have that dream? It was to remind me, and I'm convinced of this. The Lord was telling me then, your children, my children are not ours. They belong to God. Do you hear me? Some of you are over worried about your children. You are too much in their lives because you want to live your lives through them. Give it up. If they have any discernment, God will speak to them. And Joseph had a dream that night when the angel came to him. And just like Mary, he believed it was God's word. When the angel appeared to Mary, what did she say? May it be as the Lord has said. And Joseph did the same thing. He took this woman who he had never known into his life and said, you're mine. I don't know if you are like me, but if I were Joseph or if I were others in such a situation, I'm not so sure I could handle that kind of stress. You see, the real problem we have in God and following God is that God asks us to believe him when we don't have any reason to believe him except that he's given us his word. We have no reason to trust God except that he is God, and he asks you to believe in him by faith. And only when you believe in him by faith and do what he commands, do you really come to know God is true and real, that he really is real. That's when you know God exists. 
And this is how what God impressed himself upon the world. He said through the prophet that a young woman will, be, will give birth to a child and you shall call him Emmanuel. Though it's a prophecy in Isaiah that dealt with Isaiah's time and the circumstances of that day, it was also a prophecy that foretold the coming of the Messiah. If you go to verse, that was in chapter 7 of Isaiah. If you go to chapter 9, Isaiah unpacks who this Emmanuel will be. He will be the Prince of Peace. The government shall be established on his shoulders that will have no end. And upon him, God will lay all authority in heaven and earth. And you say, well, why didn't that come about? Because it didn't come about until that day when Joseph had the dream that he was going to be the father, the father of the Messiah. Well, how was he going to be a father? It wasn't his child. You, you don't understand. When he took Mary into his home and they, they, they were then married as a family, legally Jesus became his son. And though Luke records for us that Jesus was descended from Mary, from David, and it was a fulfillment of God's word, so too legally was Jesus the son of Joseph because he was a part of his tribe and family. And the most amazing thing is that in coming into the world, here's the most amazing thing about Christmas that the Father had determined that he was going to redeem humanity. How? Because he was going to send a child into a woman who had never known a man. How can that be? I don't know. But it happened. In fact, what the scriptures teach us in other places is that this supernatural operation of the Holy Spirit was so powerful upon Mary's body that without the assistance of any other person, God brought forth a life, not a person that was unknown before, but that the Godhead, the second person of the Godhead, the Word of God who was with God in the creation, as John teaches us, became human it wasn't that God poured the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit into this body. It was that God the Father had determined for the redemption of your life, He was going to send the Word of God, His Son, into Mary, and there this woman would give birth to a boy who would be unlike any other human who had ever been born because He would be born both God and man. You say, well, Robert, wait a minute. There are stories about people being born. Caesars believed they were gods. Yes, but let me tell you, of all the other stories of those births of people who descended from God, for instance, in Egypt, the pharaohs thought they were sons of gods. In all the other stories, none of them hold any water any comparison, any truth to what Matthew is writing here. How did Matthew know? How did he know this? He knew it from Mary. You see, they were in the same region of Galilee. They knew each other so well. And so when God put this into operation through the Holy Spirit, he brought forth a son 
who was both fully God and fully human at the same time. This is the mystery of the incarnation. This is what we profess we believe. This great mystery that God became flesh. God is with us. Now, don't get that wrong. Don't think that that means you can go out and live any way you want because God is with you as if he's your buddy. No, 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 no. You don't understand. That's the wrong way. It's that God is with us, meaning his presence is now known to you. You have come to know the one true God through Jesus Christ because once you were in darkness and blind to who God is, you made God into whatever was convenient for you. Now Jesus has come to reveal who God really is and blessings and joy and mercy have come. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, we celebrate tonight that God miraculously sanctified this woman in such a way that the child that was in her, formed in her by God, the Holy Spirit, this great mystery broke the line of sin in such a way that Jesus never sinned. He did not have a sin nature. When he was born, he was born as if he were the first Adam without sin. And the Bible says he never sinned once, not once. I remember my mother going to and asking me to go make up my, my bed, and I can tell you how many sins I committed by the time I got to the bedroom. Jesus never sinned. Why? Because the one who would pay for our sins had to be sinless. It's the only way we could be saved. This is why Christmas is so important. Because if Christ is not who he said he was, then we have just wasted the last hour. And more importantly, you have wasted the last two months of your life planning for tomorrow. But here's the good news. Jesus is the Messiah. The one who bore his, your sins upon a tree. The one who has come to free you from the darkness of what you once imagined God to be. To bring you into the light of knowing the one true God and changing your life. And my question to you tonight, my friends, is do you know this Jesus? Have you given your heart to him? Have you opened to even the possibility that what you have heard tonight is true? Because I can tell you that if he is talking to you tonight, you cannot be comfortable until you come to him and find his arms opened and ready to receive you, forgive you, and cleanse you. Ligonor Ministry is a ministry that was started by Robert Sproul. Or, do I have that name right? R.C. Sproul. And R.C. passed away a long time ago, but the ministry of Ligonor Ministry continues to this day, and they've released today what they want the world to hear about this day of Christmas. And it should be upon every lips, every lip or every mouth of every believer as we profess what it is we believe to the world. Because let me tell you, the darkness we're seeing is growing. 
And God is calling the church to rise up and proclaim Christ again. To be unashamed of Jesus. Their proclamation is this. That we confess the mystery and wonder of God made flesh and rejoice in in our great salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. With the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Son created all things. He sustains all things. This is Jesus. He sustains all things. He makes all things new. Truly God, he became truly man, two natures and one person. He was born of the Virgin Mary and lived among us, crucified, dead, buried. He rose on the third day, ascended into heaven, and will come again in glory and judgment. For us, he kept the law, atoned for sin, and satisfied God's wrath. He took our filthy rags and gave us his righteous robe. He is our prophet, our priest, our king, building his church, interceding for us, and reigning over all things. Jesus Christ is Lord. We praise his holy name forever. This should be shouted from every church, every Christian, because it is the only hope of the darkness we are seeing in our day. It's the only hope of the darkness that wants to take my heart and yours and deliver us over to ourselves. But God so loved you, he would not stand by. The Bible ends with the last words, come Lord Jesus. You've been praying that lately? Come Lord Jesus. Because one day Christ says he will return. And when he does, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess him as Lord. Wouldn't it be glorious to be there without any shame? Looking forward to that day. You can. If you would like to know him. Would you open your heart to him tonight and receive him? Let us pray. Our gracious Father, as we bow before you and we think about this day over 2,000 years ago, we even mark our calendar date by your birth. And though we're unsure because of the scriptures as to the exact day you were born into the world, we know that we have separated this day to remember that God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. And through that son delivered us from darkness so that we might walk in that new light, that light of God that leads us into a life that is transformed from what we see in the world. Our prayer tonight, O oh God, as we, as we gather is that Tomorrow when we rise, we would take hold of the gift you offer in Jesus. And that every morning from here on out, we would live our lives in devotion and love, learning more about him, studying his word, applying it to our lives, being formed and reformed in our way of thinking, so that in the days ahead, you would do a great work among our people. 
and that you would bring many from darkness into the light of God, forgive many sins, and transform our culture once again. This we ask humbly in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and the people of God said, together.